0: pain of change part two and maybe part 17 by the time we're done Uh, but you know I I really do appreciate the the words that the Lord gave Lauren this morning because anytime you're in the midst of change it's not easy Um, if it was easy then we would all change all the time If it was easy, we would all have the greatest spiritual walk and we'd all have the greatest physical walk and there would be nothing that we would count as a blemish or a weakness in our life. But the pain of change comes so that the Lord can graft us. And through the grafting, it's never fun to be grafted, but it is absolutely necessary for us to be grafted in order for the Lord to bring about new life. And so a lot of times we don't understand exactly what 's going on in our life last week. I kind of told you a recap over the last year what the lord 's been doing in my heart and doing in my wife 's heart, doing inside this church, and here we are with the pain of change, part two so before I start today, you know i 've spent a lot of time in prayer this week, um, and before before we pray and start into the message. I want to tell you that this was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. I had one of the most contentious leadership and deacons meeting this week I've ever had at HFF, but after a lot of arguing, after a lot of fighting, after a lot of everything, we have decided that we will no longer spell Hanukkah with a CH. (laughs) It was brutal. I wasn't sure the church was going to make it, but... Finally, after many hours of debating we came up with, we're just going to stick with the H. So it's okay to laugh. It's okay to joke. But let's go before the Father now because ultimately it's his word and his spirit that matters the most. So dear holy Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person in this church. I thank you for every person who's watching online. I thank you for those who are at home who are ill this week, Lord. And I just thank you that you have brought such gifts to this city and to this church, Lord. Today I ask, Lord, that you would go before me, that everything that would come from my mouth would only be of you. That you and you alone, Father, your spirit would be the only thing that would come from my lips. Father, I submit myself to you today, and I ask, Lord, that you will just bless each and every person in this church, that you will multiply the talents that you had given them before birth, and that we will walk in unity as one. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, amen. This week, uh, we're going we're to start in Ephesians 2, and then I'm going to kind of lay the groundwork and we're going to come back to that later on. So in Ephesians 2, I'm going to read 8, starting in 8. It's, it's one of the, like, most people don't remember Ephesians 2, 8, because it says, for gr- by grace you have been saved through faith. Probably one of the, like, least read Bible verses for us, right? Right? Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go, like, all the way down in the jots and the tittles today, but, like, for By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, but it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Over the last year or so, God's really been molding, creating, and moving in this church. You know, last year, our, our real core chapter was Acts chapter 2, to really adjust the fellowship back to the four main elements that the, uh, that the New Testament tells us we should be walking in. And, and while we've done really great in that, and there's been some struggles along the way of exactly what that's supposed to look like, what, what is that, there's definitely been growth of fellowship. There's definitely been growth of worship. I've seen lives change. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen manifestations of gifts in people that I don't fully understand, that I don't fully walk in. So I know the Lord is present, and I know the Lord is doing something. But just as he's been moving this church in a certain direction for a certain season and a certain calling, and and church, I don't have exactly the answer, I don't need to have the answer. I need to be submitted to God. And as long as the power of the Holy Spirit is talking to each and every one of us, and we're exposing our hearts, and we're exposing our minds, and we're walking in faith, God will not fail. The pain of change will be real, but God won't fail. I will fail you. I will fail you. Lauren will fail you. My wife will fail you. Brent will fail you. We will all fail you. God will never fail you. That's why you shouldn't put your trust in any man. It should always be your faith goes forward through Christ. For about six to seven years, we're almost on the seventh year coming up in February. It'll be good old number seven. We've operated a church without a real clear mission or calling. You know, I can't tell you that I could tell you every single one of the mission statement bullet point items. That's a problem. That's a lack of leadership. And that's my fault. But one thing the Lord has shown me over the last year is that sometimes you overcomplicate things. And me especially, because if you're like me, I like to build things. And if you go out and you try to build something, you know, you can go and find the best business model. What do you want to do? You want to, you want to have a cookie company? Fantastic. There is models all over the internet. Uh, th- this is how you build the best cookie company. But how do you build the best cookie company that's never been seen before? You can't follow just the model of a man. You have to be given supernatural wisdom and power to do so and that's not of any man lest they should boast lest they should boast the busier we've become as a church covid threw a monkey wrench for every single church the busier we've become and the more things we try to add the more clutter it feels it feels like we're we're doing things together but we're not really being impactful. Some of the most impactful times is when we're able to sit across from somebody and talk for two hours for the first time in a long time. It's when you get to go break bread with another person. It's when you get to have a one-on-one phone call with each other. But people need community. In our little corner of Christianity, we need community more than ever the more fractions and divisions and arguments and all the other things that exist, that, that has caused so many splits and so many broken relationships and broken marriages. And unfortunately, an entire generation of 20 to 30-year-olds who have left the biblical Christian faith, Genesis to Revelation. And yet, we still haven't even grasped, I believe, the understanding of how to have Yeshua... Jesus Christ, how to walk in the commandments and the constitution of the Lord as a nation of Israel and the identity of who we are as Christians, let alone to be submitted enough to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move like the first century church. Church, we like to talk about the fact that in our corner of Christianity, we look like the first century church. Then why aren't people healed? I get it. Talits, Zitziot, Kippahs sabbaths stuff like that these are fundamental things that should exist as the constitution of your identity and i'm not ag background at all pentecostal things scare me because most of the time i've seen them perverted But you cannot have the New Testament, the apostles' teaching, which was bullet point number one on the four things in the book of Acts, chapter 2. You cannot have the apostles' teaching without understanding that there was things that did not come from the hands of one man. It did not come from the flesh. It came only by the Creator breathing and operating through His creation. And unfortunately... Sometimes, when we think of how we believe something should be done, we miss the point entirely. So church, I'm going to tell you a lot today. I have no idea. I know what God told me to teach. I knew what God said, told us to start doing. This week, there was a conference call with the deacons, and we basically went through all of this. And we said, we're analyzing everything. Every group we do. If we have a men's group, is the men's group doing what I'm going to lay out today? If not, do we need a men's group? If we need a men's group, how do we adjust it to this? Our youth group, our children's group, our worship teams, all these things. For years, this church basically existed with three people. And on the backs of three people. No longer. Because at this point in time, if we really want to walk the apostles' teaching and the power of the Holy Spirit and call ourselves Israel and call ourselves true Christians who keep all the Bible because the king of Israel is our king. He's our king and our savior, our helper, our shield. If we want to try to walk in a musar, which is a Jewish concept for a virtue-based life. If we want to live that way, then this church will never be my church. It will be God's church. And the most important thing in this church is not me. It's not Brent. It's the gifts God's given to every single one of you. I have a shelf life in this church, and I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. You know, a lot of times, the most charismatic of pastors, and they're all like, man, I really like that pastor, because he seems to know everything. I'm the opposite of that right now. All I know is that if you trust God, you walk in God, you pray, you fast, you find your quiet space, God will tell you when to step. He will teach you how to step and he will empower you how to step. Now some might think that I'm going backwards in my faith. Some might accuse us of of not looking like the rest of, of the group of people that we operate in. I don't want to look like anybody else except for my Messiah. That's what I want to look like. I don't want to create another religion. I don't want to create another group. I don't want to create anything else. When people see me or they see you, I want them to see the light of Yeshua in this city. That's what I want them to see. And that's what I believe the Lord is telling us for this time. That we are to be a church that will teach people to love God. That will teach people to love one another. You know, in, in our corner of Christianity, a lot of people spend a lot of time really focusing on the Word of God. They're, they're in it more than a lot of people that I've ever met in the different denominations I've been in. And they, they press in, and they press in hard. They press into the Strongs and the Lexicon, and they got all the Hebrew and all the Aramaic and all the Greek and all the other things. They press in really, really hard to love God. And I believe that they are passionately seeking God in His truth. But we struggle to love one another. I've struggled to love one another. So we got one of the first two. So if we're gonna be a church that teaches people how to love God, that we're gonna put God first. We're not gonna walk in idolatry, spiritual, physical idolatry. We're gonna uphold the name of the Lord. When, when people see us trollen actually said something this morning that was totally tracking along the lines of this message today and I want people when they hear my name or they hear your name or they hear this church's name they immediately think about how great God is not how great we are how great our God is uphold the Lord's name and remember the Sabbath day You all have done a great job of remembering the Sabbath day today. Thank you for being here. To teach people to love others in community. We're bringing back small groups. Now, we're not going to bring back and we're not going to add anything. We're not going to do anything until we do a full analysis. We're trying maybe by January 1st to have that of everything we currently have. but. I've said for a while, I believe that the Lord is telling us that in order for our community to grow, and our community has grown, we were 35 people last year at this same time. We have grown. And if he wants us to grow, the end result is is that we will be in a facility that allows us to meet throughout the week. That allows us to have time where you can have homeschool co-ops, where there can be women's group gatherings, where there can be bunco, where we can do all these things. I want to bring back Bibles and bourbon for the guys. Like there's just so many things. Yes, I drink bourbon and yes, I smoke cigars. I want to be fully transparent with you in everything I do. We need to be a community who does life with each other. Because it's very easy to be a church that you just show up on Saturday and it's like, hi, how are you doing? And then when you need somebody in the middle of the week, they're not there. If we truly want to see the power of God change your heart and this community's heart, my heart, if we want to see the power of God move, that only happens if we're doing life together. And no, again, we're not doing a call. I'm not buying 70 acres out in Jones, and we're not all going to put up tiny houses. That's not happening. I need my space. I know, trolling's there, like, darn. I snore, bro. You do not want to live anywhere near me. Teach people how to love others in community, how to honor fathers and mothers, mothers, marriages, uphold marriages, uphold and strengthen the family dynamics. There will be no spiritual or physical murder in this church. I don't have the fear that you're going to pick up a stone and Cain and Abel, the situation. But there's been in the past, and sometimes we do this to people even outside this church, where we spiritually want murder or death over them. We have to be a church that not only learns how to love each other, but learns how to love the world. Not the things of the world, but the people that God wants us to go back to, to bring out. We are going to go back for the people that we were because somebody came for you and for me. No physical or spiritual adultery. Not happening. We're not going to have any thievery. And I know, again, somebody's like, oh, I didn't mean to take their coffee cup. No, we're talking about spiritual thievery too. You won't try to steal the gifts of somebody else. You will learn how to walk in your gifts. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, but I don't need to know how to do that. I don't need to know how. Lauren doesn't need to know how. My wife doesn't. Brent, Tanya, the deacons, we don't need to know how. We need to know where to go. And the Bible tells me the only place to go is all my needs before the king. If we do that, we will never fail. And no matter what the calling is, we can only grow. We will not bear false witness and testimony on other people. Guys, this isn't just believers. This standard, it's not like we're checking off the standard and we're like, hey, if they come to HFF, these are the things we're going to walk in. No. Some of your ministry is in the marketplace. Some of you are business owners. That is your mission field. Most people here probably go out to eat or go to a grocery store. That is a mission field. You won't do these things there either. Because that brings spiritual death to our entire community. And there's plenty of churches in this city that you can go darken the door. I will help you go to another church if these things are not what you feel like God is telling you to do in your life. I will help you. I will introduce you to the pastors. I will introduce you to the Messianic rabbis. I'll introduce you to the the apostles. I'll introduce you to whoever they are to get you to the right church because this is what God has told me this church should do for the next year. And if you're not going to want to be a part of that, I need to get you where you need to be. Not try to beat you over the head and make you into something that God hasn't called you to do. The kingdom of God is not about the kingdom of HFF. HFF is a seed in the kingdom, just like you're a seed in the kingdom. We're not the only one. Otherwise, we're building HFF into its own kingdom. And it will fall and it will fail. No coveting of physical or spiritual gifts. And third, we will teach people to serve the world. I've been in this walk this corner of biblical Christianity now for about 15 years, 2007, January 2007, I believe it was. We lost discipleship when we left the church. Discipleship isn't subscribing to the website of some teacher and watching all their teachings. That's what we've called it. That's what a lot of ministries have called it. I haven't seen any discipleship fruit there. In fact, I've seen the opposite of that because most of the people who've gone through those situations end up with a real pain of change, which is they don't have a relationship with each other anymore. Because it's all about what you can obtain up here. It's not about what you can do here. Discipleship is locking arms with somebody and doing life with them. It's caring about who they are. And yes, there's theology and there's philosophy in there, but it's so much more. It's so much more. A couple years ago, the, I had a core group of guys who helped me put on the Feast of Tabernacles in Chandler, Oklahoma. And I got them mugs. I got them coffee mugs because it was the most manly thing I could do. I'm not a gift giver. I don't do well with love. I've said I love you to men more this year than probably my entire life, honestly. Because I know how important it is to open your heart to do life with other people. And through opening your heart, that love can be molded and shaped inside a stony heart. Which, if I didn't fully have, I was very close. Last year. But I bought a mugs and had a quote said, brotherhood, we have a friend who does, you know, printing on stuff like that. said, brotherhood means I'll come for you no matter the cost. And I think I gave it to seven people. That type of brotherhood, I have very rarely seen in our corner of biblical Christianity. When things get tough, when you get sideways, when the Lord works some sort of curveball, like people like to cut and run. Hmm not here you can walk away you can run away but i'm still going to come for you you're going to have to put your notifications on silent do not disturb we don't walk away from our brothers we don't walk away when things get tough because otherwise we're operating in our own power and our own strength and in those moments you will fail You'll do what's right for your flesh, not what's right for your spirit and spirit of God. Through that, we're going to do more outreach opportunities. One of the pillars of this congregation is that we do outreach. And I know that's hard because people work and we got lots of kids and stuff like that. But we will not stop trying to save the lives of babies in this city. We have a college campus. I don't know how many Planned Parenthoods are in this area, but I know at one point in time, we helped the Pregnancy Crisis Center, and we still try to through volunteer and and gifts and financials and things like that, that was literally in between the university and a Planned Parenthood. I don't have the gift of street preaching. I don't know how to do it. It's not something that God has given me. But we need to be evangelizing to the poor. We need to be evangelizing to the homeless. And I know every year we, do, we try to do those things. Uh, before COVID, Grace Living Center, we would go and we'd do worship and we'd have devotionals in the senior center. We need to be known for the fruit of sowing into this community. It's imperative. Because the more we give back to other people, the more God will give to us engage more people in our services. Probably noticed while I was on sabbatical, all of a sudden there's all kinds of new people and you know we got some weird transitions happening and you got people who've never done the benediction. We got a new benediction. You got these types of stuff. We are going to engage more people in the entirety of the service as a whole. Personally, my goal would be that I would step back from leading worship as much as I have, and I'd focus on the role I have in the next season, and we would empower other people in the church to do so, which is why you've seen more of that. And it's in every area. This church can't grow on the backs of one or two people. It has to grow by the Spirit manifesting itself through the gifts that God already gave each and every one of you. Engage more in leadership tasks. Working on all that, I don't know what I would have done if it hadn't been for Cam and Sarah over the last year stepping in, and all the team leads, Farah stepping into Table Fellowship, and you know the Hellerman's moving in and helping with worship, and the amount of people who come early to join our welcome team. I failed this church when somebody walked through the door of this church and was never said hi to and walked out the door. Is that showing the love of Yeshua? No. In fact, who knows where that person was at when they walked through the doors. They might have come to this church as a despair moment. Sometimes we think because of the corner of Christianity we're in, like you only have people who walk through the door, you only meet people who like your mission feels just to make them a messianic. Oh, let me tell you about the Jewishness of Jesus. You have no idea if somebody walked through that door. They didn't know anything about the Jewishness of Jesus. They didn't know anything about the Sabbath, anything. They were driving by, they were going to kill themselves, and they walked through the door because they saw a church door was open. Not a lot of churches have their church doors open 24-7 anymore. One thing a lot of Catholic churches do really, really well is they have 24-hour open doors so those people who are in utter despair can come in and say, I got nothing, That's on me. But we've changed, and a lot of you have come, and you've given of your talents, and you've given of your hospitality, and you've served Sarah at that door, and you've served the people who've walked through the door really, really well. Empowering through real discipleship and training. I have no intention of sitting in a studio and doing a 12-part discipleship DVD and having you subscribe to my website. No, our discipleship and what my wife and I have been engaged in a lot this year is, is one-on-ones with families. But it's not just me. We've got deacons and we've got leads and we've got people. If you're coming to be discipled to me on how to speak in tongues, I can't do it. At least not the way the Bible says I can teach you how to speak some made-up language, but I can't teach you the power of the gift because he has not given it to me. So I cannot disciple you. So there's somebody else that you have to get them engaged to in the community so they can be discipled in that area. Otherwise, again, we just create our own perversion. And then lastly, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do, sometimes we have to send you out. Sometimes, and again, I come from Baptist churches and Nazarene churches and all those things. And a lot of times they were very missions minded. So the training and everything was with almost understanding you're going to get sent out to some other church or some other city or whatever. A lot of times in our corner of biblical Christianity, we see any time that somebody leaves the church as divisive. Because we've been trained that that's the only way you can leave the church. No. Sometimes the reason why you have to be sent someplace else is because your training came here to go impact there. We need to be impacting the world. We need to be impacting this city. We need to be impacting Oklahoma City. Some of you drive an hour or so to get here every single day. What if God's calling is for you to shepherd a congregation in that city? How dare I, in the position that God has given me, how dare I try to squander that calling on your life? How dare I stand in the way of God's call on your life? So maybe the training in the season you're in is just so you can go out and serve someplace else. Hmm. A virtue-based life. Isn't that what we should all want to live? I want you to be Jesus every place you go. Jesus at Pub W. Jesus at Whiskey Cake. Jesus at Gap. Jesus at Banana Republic. Jesus at Old Navy, Jesus down at uh, uh, down on campus, Jesus at math enthusiasm, Jesus at the, uh, the at the marketplace where you work, like Jesus everywhere. Shine the light of Yeshua every place you go. And sometimes that's just by loving people, because this world doesn't love much right now, except for themselves. Over the next 30, 45 days, a year, if that's what the Lord says, we are going to work on analyzing every single thing we've done in this church, why we do it, how we do it. And if it doesn't do those things and it doesn't help develop people, then it won't be here anymore. Because as a team, we're committed to developing people and developing this community so that we can reach the lost. We haven't done really a great job of that in the past. We've done a really great job of basically providing a a more uh, Sunday-like experience for Saturday Sabbath keepers. That's pretty much never going to change. That's how I'm wired. There's already all kinds of Torah services all over the city. There's already all these types of places for you to go, and you should go if that's what God has called you to do. You can get online. You can find Torah portions from 30,000 people, and you can get all kinds of commentary You can go back to Judaism, and you can watch from there, Rabbis. We're going to go downtown to Chabad and work cooperatively with the Jewish community. I promise you, the last time I was there, which I think was two years ago, there was more Jesus believers there than there was Jewish people there. That's, That's awesome. That's awesome. This doesn't need to be the only Jewish Jesus church. No. No. If you will, go with me to the parable of the talents, starting in verse 14, for it was will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave 5 talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after all Reaping where you did not sow and gather where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Hmm. Okay, so we've got three examples here. Three witnesses. We have one who's a real go-getter. They were an entrepreneur. They were a social media influencer. They had the ability to double their base right away. The other person... They had just joined Instagram a couple of days after them, and so their social influence was a little bit less. But they were able to double the amount of influence that their master had given them and give that back to their master. Yet the other person was also given something to invest, and they buried it in the ground. Out of fear, out of judgment for their master, they justified why they did nothing with their talent. They justify because, well, you're an evil man, and you did this, and you did this, so that means I shouldn't do this. I've done that for almost nine years. I have buried my talent in the ground. I have walked in a way that was not the calling by which God told me to do. And I can make a noble, righteous cause for why I did what I did and why I thought what I thought. But I now realize I I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And yet God is gracious enough to bring that to me and allow me to see it's not too late for you to change. It's not too late for you to walk. It's not too late for you to have faith so that I can bestow my mercy and my grace upon you and your family. It's not too late. But the master answered him, and he said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless service into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth god gave you a talent before you were born ephesians 2 so that you might you got to choose to walk in that. So let's look at that in the light of the parable of multiplicity and the parable of the talents here. Jesus came. Jesus walked. Jesus talked. The power of the Holy Spirit then descended upon the nations at Pentecost, after the ascension of Jesus to the heavenly realm, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's gone away, but he left you with Talents. That were predestined, how many of you can honestly say today that you're using those talents in the way that would be well for you upon the return of God to this earth? How many of you are walking in the multiplicity of the talent God gave you? You want to know why we don't see a lot of uh, of biblical Christianity evangelism down there? Because those people haven't stepped up with what God gave them their calling, or they've been run off to other places, not in this community. The gift of prophecy, it's welcome here. The apostolic office, the shepherd's office, the teaching office, the fivefold ministry that God talks about in the New Testament, those gifts and those talents were given to people in this room and they're not currently walking in it. This is why we're not changing our city. Because we're not multiplying our talents as a community by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're still wrestling with right now the spirit and truth. And guys, trust me, for a long time, This corner has been so far over on the truth and still struggles with the truth element. And I'm not interested in swinging the pendulum so far over here to where, you know, I'm throwing my coat at you and you're falling backwards and it really didn't happen. It was that I hit you with a button in your eye and you had no choice but to go down. No, if we're going to see the manifestation of the spirit, it can't be the manifestation of the spirit of me. It can't be the manifestation of the spirit of you. It has to be the manifestation of the spirit that the master gave you and trusted you with so that he could go away and when he came back, he could say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because if not, it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. He's going to take from you and give it to somebody else. God doesn't like socialism in this context. He's going to take it from you and give it to somebody else. They did a lot. You did nothing. Boom. There. He does not need you, but he wants you. He wants you because Ephesians 2 tells us he called you before you were born. didn't call you. Your creator called you. My job is to provide a community for you to walk in that, to develop in that, and to see the transformation of lives. Not just in this church, but outside those doors. But you cannot affect the kingdom of God out there if you can't get right with God in here. God gave you talents. God puts his spirit in you to help you multiply your talents. It was unfortunately I spent a lot of time fighting over how we were saved. Well, grace, but grace isn't just the New Testament where, you know, everything is forgiven. You can do everything you want. Grace was also there with Abraham because it says that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness to him. We spend so much time fighting over how we can boast about how we know more about what God wants to do in your life. That we do focusing on the fact that you should choose to walk in your calling. If you currently do not feel like you are walking in your calling Ephesians 2 I don't I don't know why the Lord put President Joe Biden in place when this and I don't know why the taxes are here and I don't know why COVID and it's got to be the end of the world it's got to be the end of the world it's got to be the end of the world our world never began If you are not walking in the talents that God gave you, our world never began. Because we were made to do something and then given a choice. So I don't care how great your life has been, how hard your life has been. If you're not walking in the calling that God gave you, then your life has not even begun. And I don't care if you stay in this church, if you leave this church. I care about you. And I care about you impacting the kingdom of God. That's what I care about. You are his workmanship created in Jesus, prepared before your birth. This is going to be a challenging year, guys. Till the end of next Sukkot, this is going to be a challenging year for this community and this church. It's going to be. If you're looking for a Sabbath gathering, a Saturday church, if you're looking for a full Bible fellowship where you can come and just kick your feet up and sit in a hammock and be on the sideline, this is not going to be the church for you. And I can tell you that right now. Because God is going to challenge each and every one of us to walk closer with him than we've ever done before. This is why over the last year we've seen people come clean about their addictions. We've seen people come clean about their marriage issues. We've seen people come clean about their spiritual idolatry and their coveting of other people's gifts. We've seen people come clean about these things. Because before the spirit of God can inhabit us and flow through us, he has to clean the house first. The pain of change. This year is going to be challenging for this church. Because I believe God wants you to step into whatever your calling is. Now some of you might be walking in it right now. And the pain of change might not be that you're walking in your calling. It might be that God's getting ready to send you to a place you didn't want to go. Maybe you're already walking in your calling. But maybe your calling is meant to go someplace else so you can impact the kingdom there. Pain of change. Maybe you have no idea what your calling is. You're going to have to wrestle and fast and pray corporately together with our prayer team leads. We'll be announcing that next week. This has to be a church that prays together. There's a reason why God wouldn't bring us the the right people for the prayer team lead until Sukkot this year. The pain of change. I'm going to do something that might get me in trouble, but I don't care because I told you I'm going to do exactly what the Lord wants us to do. I'm going to invite Michael and uh, Corey back up. Before we do the benediction today, before Sarah comes up and does that, um, we're going to do a response song. This week I was supposed to lead worship and teach and I made jokes about it the last couple of times I go on a sabbatical or I travel for a week or something, I come back and it's like the all Chris show. And so this week I decided, no, yeah, you were gone for 30 days, but you led worship last week. You need to pull yourself out and somebody else needs to do it. Sure enough, that was exactly what God wanted to do is he wanted me out of that role to focus specifically on these things this week with my family. And I had no idea what Michael's songs were gonna be, but this week was a week of desperation for me in the midst of the pain of change for my family. Lord, you have to tell me what it is you want for this church and how it's supposed to be said and you have to go before me. There cannot be a single bit of me in this. It has to be all from you. And the word that was in my mind is that I was desperate. I didn't even tell this to my wife, but I was desperate in my own mind. And I'm a strategy guy. I like to think of everything. I like to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, L, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. And then backwards because I like to control the things that are there. But this week I was desperate because nothing made sense. Nothing seemed to line up. And so I was desperate like, God, you've got to give me clarity. Why? Why am I not getting clarity? Why am I not? And yesterday Michael sent me a text with the song list. And the response song was Song for the Desperate. And he didn't even know that I haven't even told him. I'm not Moses. I'm not a prophet. I've been open and honest. I've not even walked as a pastor. The last year, I've really adjusted how I operate pastoring and shepherding this church. And I still have failures. I still have I have weaknesses. I have things that I'm not fully walking in what God wants of me. But I'm searching and I'm searching and I'm searching. But there was something that came to me last night when I sat back down to go over my notes. And I think it's very applicable to the call right now. Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Everybody in this room probably knows that passage. Crossing of the Red Sea, the establishment of a nation. Every single person in this room has Egyptians. Every single person in this room has Egyptians. You have something that is bondage or that has enslaved you or that has oppressed you. Everybody in this room has something. And if you say you don't, you need to get right with God. Because we all have something that is our Egyptians. It's our Egypt. It's something God is trying to take us out of. We have to trust God. We have to trust that God is going to move by his power of his spirit to break the bondage in our life, to break the enslavement. So that when we come up against the giants that are coming, we will be called in history as having a different spirit like Joshua and Caleb. Not like the others who are like, I want to go back to Egypt. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So today we're going to do the most un-Messianic thing I know to do. Not because I'm trying to be un-Messianic, but because at this point in time, as a Christian, as a believer of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, as a Sabbath keeper and a Torah observer and The roots of my faith. We're going to open the altar today, and we're going to do Song of the Desperate. And if you have something that you need to get right with God, if you've been fighting God on whatever the calling is in your life, if you have an Egyptian that you are scared of, that you're either in bondage of or you're running away from, whatever that might be, I want to promise you I have no power to help you get out of that. I only have power to pray with you because only God and only by his spirit can we be a new heart and a new creation. Not of works for me so that I could boast or that Brent could boast or the trolling could boast, Ray could boast. No, it's so that we can testify from our lips that Jesus has saved us and transformed our lives. Youth down here in the front. Unfortunately, sometimes altar calls are used to pervert and manipulate emotions of people. Sometimes that happens. Not all times, but sometimes that happens. But I can tell you this. Part of the reason why we've struggled for six years in this church is because when God is asking us to change, we have not modeled properly for you that the only way to change is to get on your knees before God and let him transform your heart. I don't care if they say it's not Messianic Jewish enough. I don't care if they say it's too AG. I don't care if they say anything. The only person who can change your heart and the only person who can transform your life is Jesus. And there's a step after that. There's a step. Once you have felt the power of God in your heart and you've wanted to proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and he is your Savior. And adults, this is for some of you too. I've met some people who have been Torah observant for years and years and years and years of their life. And they have never ever proclaimed Jesus as their salvation. The Torah cannot save you. It will not offer you salvation. It will lead you to the salvation, the Yeshua. Yeshua. Once you make that choice, that proclamation, and after we do the Lion's Roar series, we're going to get into a series on baptism. And we're going to call it baptism, we're not going to call it mikvahs, because there's been some perversion of the word and how it's used, and it creates chaos and confusion when we don't speak about it properly. And so yes, I understand that mikvah is the commonly used word for baptism, but there's multiple reasons why one would immerse themselves in water. And again, if we're truly going to develop people and train people in this church, and this church is about families and building families and strengthening families and strengthening lives and the callings of your life, then we have to teach people about all of that. And that includes that once you accept that Yeshua is your salvation, you must make a public proclamation. Then you must go in to the water and come out. And then and only then, a lot of times we stop there then and only then can you start to allow yourself to come to a place where you can actually be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to cleanse off. And Brent's going to be going through a series on that here shortly. Because, guys, I believe this is is an exodus moment for this church. I believe this is a Red Sea crossing for for my family, for our life, for this entire church, this community. Not just in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. And before the Israelites could meet with God at the mountain, they had to go through the water. A lot of times we talk about afterwards. You have to go through the water to be cleansed to meet with God at Sinai. So we're asking God to Ephesians 2 that we will choose to walk in this, that we will multiply the talents. God will multiply our tent posts. He'll multiply our families. He'll give us strength and power in things we've never seen in this life so we can actually have the testimony that we look and walk and talk like the first century church, just with Reeboks. But things are about to get Levitical up in here. So if you have something you need to lay down today, If you just have something you want to praise God about, you can do it in your seats. I'm not going to manipulate you. You can do it in your seats, but you can also do it down here. Because as long as I'm a part of this church, as long as God has me here, Jesus will be the center of this church. It will not be my church. It will be his church. It won't be Brent Avery's church. It won't be the Wallace's church. It won't be the Day's church. We will be fully submitted to the hand of God and the King of Israel. And whatever plan he has for you, for us, for anything, we are submitting and we're getting out of the way. And if you need to lay down your Egypt today, now's the time.